Hello, welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Mason. We've been absent a few months, but we're back. I've got some interesting interviews lined up for you. Hope you'll tune in next week and the week after, and the week after that too. This uh, this introductory podcast uh, celebrating our return is really just an update to keep you informed as to what's going on at the special conclave of the Grand Encampment, now fast approaching March 12th in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Mason. Um, it's a pleasure to be back on the air. It's been a, a long few months of our absence while we finished up a lot of our work, with which you're probably familiar if you were a regular listener. I'm super psyched to be done with all that. Knock on wood. I won't have to do much more. We'll have to wait and see. Um, first and foremost, I would like to solicit your prayers for Brother David Long, who is in Ukraine right now uh, during this Russian invasion. He went out there early January and has been out there for two months now. Uh, was meant to come back on February 20th, but for some reason delayed his trip back. And of course, then the invasion occurred on the morning of the 23rd, and I lost touch with him about uh, 48 hours ago. He was, in, he was in Poltava, in the middle of the country, and I know he was seeking passage west. So uh, your prayers would be greatly appreciated for Brother David Long, who was out there in Ukraine. So now really to the substance of this short uh, podcast, um, one just to, you know, blow the, the dust off the pipes, so to speak, get used to the equipment once again. Um, but also, we are in the shadow now of the special conclave of the Grand Encampment that was called by 16 Grand Commanderies to address what those Grand Commanderies believe were abuses of office by the current Grand Master. Now, you may or may not recall that the Grand Master removed the Deputy Grand Master uh, without cause and probably in retribution for a position he had taken under the auspices of the previous Grand Master in seeking to reconcile two Masonic groups. Now, the irony here, of course, is that uh, in the recent months, uh, the, the current Grand Master has, um, in fact, ended up recognizing again that group with whom we had amity for, you know, almost 100 years. I think it was 1934 when the Great Priory of America received its charter from the Great Priory of Helvetia, which is Switzerland. And this, of course, is the Chevalier Bienfaisant de la Cité Sainte, or the so-called CBCS, 
kind of elite rite of chivalric masonry that practices the rectified Scottish rite. Just another sister rite, the York rite, Scottish rite, the rectified Scottish rite. Um, one of the oldest, actually, you know, so-called haut grades um, in the Masonic fraternity. And for reasons I won't belabor, uh, the current Grandmaster had uh, issue with that group mainly due to one of his mentors' aspirations to join, uh, which were summarily denied back in, I would think, around 2000. Um, anyway, if you want more information on that, you can always listen to our previous podcasts, or you can check out the Call to Conclave blog. That's C-A-L-L number two, C-O-N-C-L-A-V-E dot O-R-G. There's plenty of information there. But there have been questions that have been circulating out there among the Sir Knights regarding, you know, what's the point of having this special conclave if the Grand Master is just not going to allow any of the items on the agenda to come to the floor? Well, I think first and foremost, we need to dispel that anxiety. Um, if you read the Constitution of the Grand Encampment, it is pretty clear in Section 3 that the supreme executive, legislative, and judicial body the supreme executive, legislative, and judicial power resides in the grand encampment when in conclave assembled. Who, who, who is or who are the grand encampment? Well, the grand encampment consists of all of the deus officers of the grand commanderies and all the past grand commanders, as well as the deus officers of the so-called subordinate commanderies. Um, there's a, a definition of membership that's set forth also in the, the constitution statutes and that is whom comprises the grand encampment and when the grand encampment is assembled in conclave it is again the supreme legislative executive and judicial power from its decision there can be no appeal the constitution also says that so really i mean in in sort of masonic tradition the the grand master is the representative of the grand encampment when it is not assembled and this is why his decisions carry the weight of law in the in the grand encampment, at least until they are adopted or overruled by the uh, the, the grand encampment in conclave assembled. Now, there's uh, been much much noise made about what can and cannot be done at a special conclave versus a stated conclave, and I think it should be understood as well that the constitution specifies there are two types of conclave. Remember, the Grand Encampment is the membership in Conclave assembled, and the Grand Encampment can assemble in one of two ways. The first way is a stated Conclave. We recognize those as the triennials that are held every three years. Then the other way simply is a special Conclave. Now, the only limitation enumerated in Section 4 regarding what a, sec a special Conclave is is that nine Grand Commanderies, a quorum of the Grand Encampment, must choose, adopt a call to Conclave. They must call for the special conclave, and they must circulate uh, an agenda of business. The only real limitation, then, is that the business transacted at the special conclave must only be that business that was adopted in the call to conclave. And if you think about it, that makes complete sense. I mean, this is not something that just the Grand Encampment does. The people who wrote this constitution were obviously familiar with sort of corporate law and regular corporate practices in this great country of ours. And absolutely, that's how the shareholders call a special meeting of the, of the, of the corporation. You know, if a majority or a quorum of the members or shareholders of an incorporated or unincorporated share issuing or not corporation call for a special meeting, then the special meeting will be called. But obviously the business can only be what is noticed 
because the members need to have notice of what business will be discussed. Obviously, a stated conclave, you know when it's going to be. So your calendar can, you know, be arranged so that you will be able to attend. The agenda can be circulated in, a, in an earlier time or, or a closer time to the actual stated conclave because it's assumed that you're aware of the repeating items that will likely come up, right, at a sort of annual meeting of the shareholders or members or however you want to put it. A special conclave, because by its very nature it's special, it is not one to be anticipated. So due notice must be afforded the membership in order that their participation can be guaranteed. I mean, it's really that simple. But there's no restriction to the business that can be entertained at a special conclave. And to pretend otherwise kind of negates the entire purpose of having one. It's kind of the, a similar situation. I mean, if the Grand Master can just remove an elected officer, elected to represent the Grand Encampment, and represented to balance the Grand Master, if he can just simply remove them at will and without cause, then there's no purpose in electing them. They simply devolve to appointed positions. We should just vote the Grand Master in and he can appoint whoever he wants and then he has the removal power, uh, you know, incumbent in the appointive power. Um, it's the same with a special conclave. I mean, if you can't do any business at a special conclave that would necessitate the call of a special conclave, then why even have one, right? It would only allow for the Grand Encampment to assemble as a, as a stated conclave. But a special conclave must happen because there are times when necessary business must be discussed. Now, what is the, the caveat? You know, the caveat is that nine grand commanderies have to adopt the call. That's a pretty steep requirement. Whatever the business is has to be deemed of significant enough importance, sufficient to warrant nine grand commanderies to adopt a common agenda and circulate it among the membership and then arrange for a special meeting. That's a pretty steep climb. And if the business is of such necessity to impel such action, then absolutely the special conclave is proper. If the special conclave is proper, then the agenda that was circulated in the call as adopted is also proper and should be entertained. And any pretense otherwise is absurd. There have been other issues that have been bandied around and more disinformation. And I want to say, you know, this isn't just coming from the Rocky Mountain Mason here. Um, I, I know a number of attorneys that have reviewed the Constitution, statutes, rules, and regulations of the order. And to all of them, the same reading adheres. They read the Constitution almost exactly the same way. There's only one attorney I know who so far hasn't, and he just happens to be the chair of jurisprudence. Um, so, you know, I mean, you've got one guy saying it says this, which obviously is supporting, in my opinion, what appears to be an amount of bias. Um, and then you've got objective people who really know nothing about this circumstance, reviewing the constitution and ultimately coming to the same conclusion. And, and, and you know, this is not in a vacuum. Yeah. We're Knight Stampler. Yep. We're part of the Masonic fraternity. Uh, yeah, this is it. We, we're a self-governing representative body. But just to give you an example, if we had written in our statutes a bylaw that said you can never remove your presiding officer with or without cause, in the courts of law of this country, such a bylaw would be found unconscionable. It would be unenforceable. It would be stricken from the bylaws because no representative, no self-representative governing body can deny 
its own membership the ability to correct the excesses of power. That's the entire purpose of the corporate form. That's the entire purpose of a democratic institution. A corporation is a body of people that come together united under a common will. Now, for the most part, a corporation unites in pursuit of profit. But obviously, that's not always the case. There are nonprofit organizations whose uniting together to discern the majority will of its membership is in furtherance of charitable objectives. Right? That's a charitable organization. The Grand Encampment is a 501c10. That's a fraternal organization. Its main purpose in assembling the collective to discern the majority will for the governance of those members is simply in furtherance of fraternity and all those things attendant to fraternity, including the charitable activities that we are caused to undertake. Now, it should be noted, of course, and this is a decent segue into another important point that I think needs to to be made. Um, A lot of our charitable exploits are also incorporated as nonprofit organizations under, you know, 501c3, a chapter three organization, um, which actually has a a specific charitable purpose, right? It kind of operates like a trust. The monies are held separately and it is used to fund charitable activities associated with that objective. Now, in our case, it's the I Foundation, right? The Knight Templar I Foundation. And there have been questions raised about, you know, well, what happens to the I Foundation? Let me back up a little bit first and say, what happens if the special conclave fails? What happens if we are unsuccessful in correcting what we believe to be abuses of office and in curtailing the actions of this Grand Master? What if the decisions he has made, which we believe uh, exceed the Constitution, we would call them ultra vires, or beyond the man, ultra vires acts, what if for some reason the majority in assembly decides that, well, hey, you know what, we want that to be Templar law? Well, that, that's certainly the prerogative of the assembly, to, to do. I think that the, the, the issue we, we may face is the majority doesn't feel that way, number one. Number two, we may face actions, more abuses of office in attempt to silence the assembly's deliberate, de, 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 deliberations. Excuse me. Um, and if such happens and the special conclave is somehow denied, and we'll get back to this towards the end of the, 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 this podcast, because I don't think there's any real way that you can stop a group of people from deciding their own future. Um, But let's just say that the chair attempts to abuse the office and calls everything out of order. Um, If for some reason we fail in correcting these abuses internal to our own organization, there is, I think, credible concern, credible concern that some Grand Lodges will begin to pull recognition of the Grand Encampment. I think there's credible concern that a large number of grand commanderies or a fair number of grand commanderies will simply leave the grand encampment. Now, technically, they're not allowed to leave, right? We merged our sovereignty into the grand encampment. This is not like the general grand chapter or the general grand council, which is really a voluntary association. When the grand encampment was formed back in 1814 or whatever it was, 1815, 1814, all sovereignty of the forming Grand Commanderies, and they called themselves Grand Encampments back then too, merged into the Grand Encampment of Knights Temple of the United States. So the correct way to leave the Grand Encampment is literally to dissolve it. The problem is, of course, that if we're unable to correct the abuses of office occurrent from the Grand East, then I don't think we can stop a number of Grand Commanderies from simply saying, well, we're not leaving. And I don't 
really see how the grand encampment can prevent them from leaving because any action at law to enjoin their departure would be met with unclean hands. You know, they, they, they have abuses of office. And at this point, the, we've exhausted our options in attempting to, to, to fix the problem and have been not denied that opportunity. So I don't think there's a way to prevent that happening. So basically, the grand encampment could possibly fragment and fall apart. And there are concerns raised that, well, if that happens, what happens to the I Foundation? So I just want to, I want to assuage those concerns because the I Foundation remains a separate corporate entity. The way that it's set up is interesting. There is definitely an interlocked board and there's a definite coextensivity of membership. The membership of the I Foundation is controlled by the number of voting delegates that registered to attend the triennial session. So every three years, the membership of the I Foundation changes. But what's interesting is, is at the triennial where the Grand Master is elected, the electors are the same membership of the Grand Encampment as the I Foundation at that triennial. So in a sense, they are absolutely interlocked. And, and in a sense, the four deus officers of the Grand Encampment who become trustees of the I Foundation – there are additional trustees, trustees at large that are elected by the board from the membership. But those four seats at the board of the I Foundation are predicated on their election at the Grand Encampment. So there is an interesting crossover that we can talk about in a little bit regarding a property interest that a trustee has when governing a nonprofit 501c3 organization, which may or may not exist in a 50c10 setup. Um, but denial of a trustee's position removes a property interest, and therefore the removal of a trustee must follow some due process, and the law is pretty straightforward on that front. So this is another reason why the Grand Master just does not have the power to remove an elected officer at his whim without cause, because in so doing, he denies him the property interest that inured to that position on the seat of the board of the I Foundation. But nonetheless, if the Grand Encampment were to implode, the I Foundation, completely separate corporation, completely separate, you know, funds in a completely separate account, separate sphere, separate, um, you know, executive director and so on and so forth, separate office even, would be fine. Um, I think the main issue they would face is they'd have to rewrite their bylaws. And let's not hope this doesn't happen. But worst case scenario, if it did, I would imagine that the grand encampment would become something akin to the you know, the, the Council of Grandmasters of North America. And every three years, the Grand Commanders at the Grand Commanderies and the Deus Officers meet in a, a location that is handled by some committee comprised of, you know, elected members of the same. And we basically have the same Grand Encampment. We just don't have, you know, an overarching centralized authority. And from that body, the trustees at large would be elected. Um, so they would have to rewrite their bylaws. That's probably the, the biggest impact on the I Foundation. Um, but, you know, the, for, if that were to occur, the Grand Encampment would have some major, major restructuring issues. Their funds would have to go into some sort of constructive trust. I mean, we definitely – I personally would not want to see that happen. You know, while I am a states' rights kind of guy, a bit of a, a libertarian, I do recognize the Grand Encampment has a power to do great good in the Masonic world um, as a centralized body and the largest Templar organization in the world. Um, seeing it fragment would indeed be sad. But we also have to address these problems. And these problems are not just systemic to the, the, the Knights Templar. I mean, they seem systemic to the Masonic fraternity at large at the moment. We've seen a, a flurry of grandmasters in various organizations exceed their office. 
I don't know when this happened. It's never been this way. If you read the old charges, if you go back to the Halliwell manuscript, you go back to the, you know, the, the charges out of Germany, you go back to Anderson's constitution. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Never has the Grand Master been kind of a despot and a benevolent dictator. My year, I'm in charge. It's never really been like that. And this culture crept into American Freemasonry. I'm guessing, you know, sometime in the 50s and 60s. And this this generation has had the, cultivated this culture of om, omnipotent grandmasters who get to interpret what the law is. And, you know, the Grandmaster does have a lot of power. Don't get me wrong, but his power should never exceed the power of the body he represents. That's that's absurd, right? That makes him a tyrant. It makes him a king. And all of our Masonic ritual speaks against tyranny. I mean, I, I can't think of any ritual that we do that supports a tyrannical despot. I mean, it's absurd. So to pretend somehow that the Grand Master is the body that he represents is just backwards and wrong. And we need to correct this. Um, not just in the Grand Encampment, elsewhere too, but um, nonetheless, it, it needs to go away. I, I think we need to remember Ben Franklin, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. We need to think about the founding of this country that was founded in no small part on Masonic values. They coincide. They overlap. They're coextensive. Somehow, we've lost sight of all that. Um, but uh, you know, back to this special conclave. There is really no reasonable way that this can be stopped. Um, really, what needs to happen is a full, fair, open discussion of the issues of the call, and the membership should have the opportunity to make a decision. And as long as that decision is made in a fair, open, exhaustive manner, then whatever that decision is, is, is the right decision. You know, this is not necessarily... You know, the decision could be that the Grand Master is correct, but any attempts to prevent a free, open, fair discussion is abhorrent. And we see that happening right now. So don't lose sight of the fact, Sir Knights, that we are the supreme legislative, executive, and judicial power when in conclave assembled. And from the decision of the group, there is no appeal. So even if the Grand Master was to try to shut us down, there's nothing to stop us going into the room next door and holding the same meeting without him, right? Once we, he, he is meant to preside at the meeting as the Grand Master. That's his prerogative. But if he has a conflict of interest, which I think in this case he absolutely does, a sensible Grand Master would not preside, right? Because he has a conflict of interest. His, he's not able to maintain the impartiality required of the chair, so any rational, impartial, disinterested grandmaster who is worth his salt in such a situation would never preside. But um, neither would he appoint somebody who's interested <laughs> in the outcome, right? I mean, Billy Coon probably shouldn't preside either, right? So at the end of the day, what we probably should see is a neutral third party in the chair, and we should see a fair open discussion of the motions made that are within the scope of the business enumerated in the call. And that's ultimately what should happen. So, Sir Knights, if you're listening to this podcast, I implore you to get your ticket, Fort Wayne, Indiana, March 12th. I'll hopefully see you there. I think, you know, this is something that is historical, um, not just for the Knights Templar, but for masonry at large. This is something that needs to happen. Uh, we need to correct this misperception that the 
presiding officer of any group is kind of the king of the group who can do whatever the hell he wants. Um, we need to remind us all of our Masonic obligations and that we're servants to each other um, and that we remain on the level in all our undertakings. This is historical. If you are an elected officer of your grand commandery or a past grand commander, please consider attending the special conclave. If you're a deus officer and you can't make it, remember you can proxy your vote to a member of your commandery or your grand commandery. So please do ensure at least four votes at representing your your grand commandery at this special conclave because your voice needs to be heard and your participation needs to be had. And next week, you're not going to want to miss my interview. I'm going to keep it under wraps for now. In the morning, we go live. It's been a long road, but thank you for treading it with me. And I guess we'll return to where we left off in the three books. I've just got to figure out where we were. It's such a tome, a big weighty tome. And until next time, take care and Godspeed.